It is truly a wonderful thing to be together as God's people this morning. I look out and see a number of visitors with us. We're happy that you can join us to honor the God of heaven and to think about eternity this morning as we'll be talking about the question, is your name written in heaven? Is your name written there? Probably most of us have had an experience something like this. I had this several times when I was in high school and college, especially in college, but a couple of times in high school, where you're sitting in a classroom. It's the first day of class, first day of school, and the teacher is calling roll. And he or she goes through, you know, the list of the names of people who are supposed to be in the class and uh, gets to the end of that and then says something like this. If I did not read your name, raise your hand. And several times in my experience, did you have this happen? Somebody would raise their hand and the teacher would say, come see me. And that person would go up and speak to the teacher for a minute. And often it would be, well, I don't have you on the roll. Have you paid your tuition? I don't have you on the roll. Are you sure you're signed up for this class? Or in high school, are you even in the right grade? What grade are you in? This is 12th grade. You're in 11th grade. You're not supposed to be in here. Okay, so your name is not on the roll. And what happens to you then is that you get sent out of the room to the guidance counselor's office or the principal's office or the administration building or whatever it is, and you're never seen again. Some of these people I never saw again in the rest of my life because it wasn't on the roll. There is in heaven a role of the people who are supposed to be there or the people who are going to get to stay, get to stay there. And it is of the very most utmost importance. That was redundant. But it is of the most utmost importance that our name is on that role. The role that's called up yonder. The judgment day may well be much like calling a roll in a classroom to see if you're supposed to be there. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 20 and verse 12, and we'll be looking at this text two or three times in the course of this lesson, but in Revelation 20 and verse 12, and also read part of verse 15, John says, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And then in verse 15, And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Anyone not found written in the book. When we ask the question, is your name written there? We're asking a question of eternal importance. The book of life is God's record of those who are saved, of those who are redeemed, of those who are truly His people. And it seems the first mention of it in Scripture may be all the way back in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, where the people of God had sinned. In Exodus chapter 32 and verse 1, Moses returned to the Lord and said, These people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. You remember the golden calf and all of that? And now Moses is interceding for them. 
And he says to God, yet now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. You have to admire Moses. You really do in a lot of different ways. This is not the first and only time that he intercedes for the Israelites. They don't really deserve it. But often, over and over again, Moses will go to God on behalf of the Israelites. And this, this is one of his strongest pleas. He says to God, he says to God, please forgive them. And if you're not going to forgive them, just blot my name out of the book. I mean, you you talk about a man who is willing to sacrifice himself for his people. In Moses, we see a lot that's reminiscent, of course, of precedent maybe, of of Jesus Christ. Moses is the great lawgiver. Moses is the deliverer of his people from bondage. But Moses is also someone who is willing to sacrifice himself for his people. And yet God corrects Moses on this occasion. And he says, the Lord said to Moses in verse 33, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. You don't get the choice, you know, being whether you're in the book or not. God chooses. And the one who sinned against him, that name's going to be blotted out of the book. The one who's righteous before him, the implication is that person, his name will be kept in the book. When we go all the way over to the New Testament, we find another reference to this book, this record of the people of God, those who are in fellowship with him and his good graces, you might say. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2, Paul is concerned about some division, some problem that's in the church at Philippi. And he says, I implore you, Odia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. You learn something here about the Apostle Paul and his love for, support for, and encouragement of people whose names are in the book of life. There are two or three things I want to notice in passing in this reference that Paul makes here. We're not going to really camp here, but there are some interesting things to notice. First of all, you had two women, Yodia and Syntyche, and they really weren't getting along. They needed help to get along better with one another, and Paul is encouraging the Philippians to help them. But if I'm reading this right grammatically, at this point in the situation, Yodia and Syntyche's names were both still in the book of life. That's interesting to me. God's people can be having problems, striving to overcome things, maybe interpersonal problems like these two had, maybe other kinds of problems. God's not going to blot your name out of the book of life just because you're struggling with something. You're still His child. If you faithfully work on it, correct what needs correcting, go to Him for forgiveness, you're still His child. These two ladies. They weren't getting along as they should. But God's not waiting just for that moment of weakness when you 
you know, don't do or say the right thing to a brother or sister in Christ, or, uh, you know, this, you did this little thing that really wasn't what God wanted you to do on a, in a given circumstance. And he, he's not waiting for that to happen. He says, well, okay, you're out of there. You're, you're, you're not, you're not, in, that's not how he is. And I think that's fairly implied from this text. Because both of these women, who were not getting along, which does not please God when his people don't get along, yet they were in the book. The other thing that you can notice just in passing is that those who are mentioned as being in the book are those who are laboring and working. He talks about, help these women who labored with me in the gospel and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. You know who's in the book of life? We'll talk more about this in a minute. You know whose names are in the book of life? Those who are working for the gospel. That's what you see here. People who are on fire to spread the news of Jesus Christ. People who are working in the kingdom to build up their fellow saints. People who are helping, if they're not doing the evangelism themselves, they're helping evangelists to do the work. They're Paul's, notice, fellow workers. People who worked alongside him in spreading the gospel. When you think about the book of life, you're thinking about that record that God has, the names of those who are saved. But it's not just their names, I think, either. Or maybe it is just their names, but the name represents all of who they are. All of the life that they've lived. All of their character and their qualities. A couple of references from the Old Testament that inform us here, I believe. That teach us that God has a record more than just of names, but also of all that our name represents. God records the time in which we live and the things that are in our hearts. Notice the psalmist in Psalm 139 and verse 16. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. So when God begins thinking about us, He begins thinking about us before we're born. And as He thinks about those who will be His people, and I don't know how He knows that or if He wants to know that and does know that, know that ahead of time, He might, and this is, again, just guesswork here, so you don't have to write this down for sure, but he might put everybody's name in that to start with because everybody's right with him when they're born. It could be that the reason he has to blot names out instead of put names in is because everybody's name is in there to begin with. God knew the psalmist before he was born. God had written in his book the days that he would be, the days that he would live. That was all written in the book before he was ever fashioned. Which is to say, God has not only you, but your time, 
The Bible says that he has appointed our times and the boundaries of our habitations. He has appointed our days. He has that all in mind. And he puts that in the record before you ever come to be. And then also look at Psalm 56 and verse 8. As you live your life, David indicates that God keeps a record. God kept a record of everywhere he went and of all that he endured and all that he experienced. The way he puts it is this, Psalm 56 and verse 8. He says, you number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? The word number there is interesting because it suggests counting and keeping a record of. You number my wanderings, where I go, what I do. You keep a record of all of that. And he also says, keep track of my tears. The contemporary English version in this text starts this way. You have kept a record of the days of my wandering. I think that's a good translation. God knows us. The ones who are in his book, he's known us from before we began. He's known all about our lives all the way through. All the tears that we've cried, all the joys we've experienced, everything that we are is included when he puts our names in his book. Those whose names are not written in it are those who are with the world, do not respect God's word. Those whose names are written in it are pure and have overcome with the Lamb. So let's look at these points. Those whose names are written in the book, according to Revelation 3 and verse 5, Jesus says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. The ESV says there, He who conquers shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Notice again, it's not blotting his name from the book of life. The name is there. Jesus says, if you overcome, your name is going to remain there. If you conquer the trials, the temptations, all that we need to go through in life to be pleasing to God, if you overcome those things, I need you to understand this morning that every one of us in this room faces trials, temptations, difficulties, afflictions, things that we must overcome. If you want your name to stay in the book of life, you overcome those things. You overcome those things through the power of God and through the blood of the Lamb. You overcome those things with God's help. To those who overcome, they're going to be clothed in white garments which suggests the purity of forgiveness. And their names will remain in the book of life. In Revelation 21 and verse 27, there shall by no means enter into that heavenly city that John is describing there anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The people who are written in the book are not people who defile, not people who profane, not 
people who take holy things and trash them. Not people who take uh, the blood of Jesus and disregard it. Not people who take His Word and ignore it. His Word which is holy. No one who defiles will have their name maintained in the book of life. No one who causes an abomination. An abomination is something that is hated. Hated by God. God, you go to the Proverbs, tells us a number of things that He hates. If you cause those things that God hates, your name's not going to stay in the book of life. No one who causes an abomination or a lie. I'm interested this year in talking to young people about being valiant for the truth. Standing up for the truth. Speaking the truth. Speaking the truth in your heart. Always. And speaking the truth to others. Always. And the reason for that is that if you cause an abomination or a lie, your name will not be in the book of life. All liars, Paul, uh, John earlier said, in this same context, will have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Don't be a liar. At all cost, at all cost, young people and old people and everybody in between, tell the truth. It may hurt you, it may cause you pain, it may cause you embarrassment. Tell the truth. Those whose names are not written in the book, as I've already said, are are people who are aligned with this world. In Revelation chapter 13, if you'd like to look at that text with me for a moment. Let's read, let's read verses 6 through 8 here. What, what's happening in Revelation 13 is that John is seeing in a, in a vision, in a very symbolic vision, uh, some beasts that are being given power by Satan. Uh, this first beast comes up out of the sea. It's a ferocious, seven-headed destroying kind of beast. It's similar to some beasts that were described by the prophets in the Old Testament, like Daniel, for instance. But it definitely represents a world power. Uh, Most who study this would agree it represents the Roman Empire. In fact, I think almost everybody who studies this would say this beast represents the Roman Empire. So with that as a little background, we come to Revelation 13 and verse 6, and John describes what he sees the beast doing. When he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And then in verse 8, all who dwell on earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Here are people whose names are not written in the book of life. Why not? Well, they're aligned with this world power that is against Christianity, that is against the God of heaven, that is against everything that's moral and everything that's right and everything that's righteous. In other words, the powers that are in the world that are anti-Christian are represented in the Roman Empire in this beast. And so as we live in the world today, 
there are a lot of enemies of Christ. There are a lot of enemies of Christ who speak against the God of heaven, who blaspheme Him, who blaspheme His word, who would like to destroy Christians, who are out to persecute us and harm us, isolate us in our culture. And if you're somebody who's aligned with all of that and influenced by all of that, and you'd rather have the ways in the world than the ways of God, your name's not in the book. Your name's not in the book. Anyone who takes away from God's Word, His name's not in the book. Go over to Revelation chapter 22 and verse 18. Listen to the testimony. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in the book. You take away from the book, God's taking you away from the book of life. Now, I understand in the context of Revelation that the book that John is talking about specifically is the book of Revelation. The principle that he is espousing here applies to the entirety of the Bible, though. How do I know that? Because the same thing is said throughout the Scriptures, here and there and everywhere. You can go all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 12 and verse 32. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it or take away from it. That's what God has expected of His people when He gives them His Word all along. Don't add to it and don't take away from it. Now that thing about your name won't be in the book of life, it's not there in Deuteronomy, but my point is the principle of not being allowed to take away from God's Word is all over the Scriptures. There are many today who have God's Word saying much less than it actually says. They have taken away. They have taken away what God has to say about morality. And they have allowed things to be, in their minds, moral, which God calls immoral. They have allowed things in their minds to be okay with God, which God says are not okay with Him. They have taken away from his book. There are a lot of people in the world today who've taken away from what God's book says about marriage. God says in his word, for this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God made them male and female, Jesus says in Matthew 19, and the two shall become one flesh. And there's all kinds of folks in the world who've taken that away. And the text says, you take away from his book, he'll take away your name from the book of life. Be cautious what you allow yourself to believe about things like what constitutes a marriage. Because God has said what constitutes a marriage. And if you take away something from that, There are those who take away the necessity of baptism. The apostles of Christ commanded people to be baptized for the remission of their sins. 
Baptism saves us. Jesus says in Mark 16, 16. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 21. Baptism is how we get into Christ. Romans 6, Galatians 3. So when somebody says baptism doesn't have, does not have anything to do with salvation, they have taken away from what the book says. When somebody says that you can have faith in God and be saved, but you don't actually have to do anything. In fact, there are those who say you, don't, you cannot do anything to be saved. Where God's book says something entirely different. Faith, in order to be saving faith, has to work. Faith without works is dead. But that concept has been taken away. And we could go, we could spend the rest of today <laughs> going through things that people have taken away from the book of God. And God says, your name's not going to be in the book if you do that. Well, as we saw in Revelation 20, and I encourage you to go back there now, the book of life is going to be open to judgment. In Revelation 20, and I'll start in verse 11 now, and read the whole context. John says, I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the death in Hades delivered up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The book of life is opened at judgment. You see in this text three things that people will be judged by. First of all, you see the book of life. Secondly, you see things that were written in the books, plural. And I take those books to be the books of the Bible. It's not specified, but we know the books of the Bible are our standard. This is what will be measured by. This is God's Word. So we're judged by what's in the book of life. Is your name there or not? You're judged by what's written in the books. And you're judged according to your works. According to what you have done. Whether it's good or bad. As we've said earlier, the book of life is really a record of our identity before God. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things done in the body according to who we are. And God knows who we are, whether good or bad. He knows if our names are to be in that book or not. And in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, there is no creature hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him with, to whom we must give an account. That's what we measured on the judgment day. Everything we've done. Everything we've thought. All the way down to the difference between body and spirit. 
all through us, then God knows we should be in the book of life. And be sure then that eternity depends on your name being there. Eternity depends on your name being in the book of life. There are two passages I want to share with you before we close. Both of them from the Old Testament. Both of them a little bit obscure. May not be as familiar with these as some of the other passages we've looked at. But look with me at Daniel chapter 12. Beginning in verse 1. Daniel has talked and been prophesying about and shown uh, sort of the history that's going to unfold after him from the time he lived to the coming of the Messiah and I think after that as well, because there are indications in his prophecy about the very end of time, I believe, and I believe we see that in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. Read it with me. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. That sounds an awful lot like what Jesus says about the second coming in John chapter 5. Verse 3 of Daniel 12. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever. That's those whose names are written in the book. And then in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on His name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Wow. Those who are written in the book of remembrance, they will be spared. They will be saved. And they will become Jewels of God for all eternity. We have often said that every human being is precious to God. God allowed His Son to die for everybody in this room. But not all of us are going to be His jewels forever. There will be some, those whose name are, names are written in His book, who will be His jewels, be precious to Him for all eternity. With God's help, we have been privileged to do a lot of wonderful things for His cause in this world. Some have been enabled to do 
amazing things. I think back to the time of the apostles and all of the great things that the twelve were able to do. You remember when Jesus gave them the ability to do miracles and to cast out demons and, and they come back and they're rejoicing. They, they say, Lord, you can't believe what we're doing with the power that you gave us. And Jesus tells them in Luke chapter 10 and verse 20, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Whatever great thing we may accomplish through the power of God in this life pales in comparison to the joy of the reality that your name is written in heaven. That's what it's all about. Because as, as has been well said by many others, if you miss heaven, you just miss it all. A woman by the name of Mary Ann Pepper Kidder, around the turn of the century, wrote a song entitled, Is My Name Written There? We used to sing it. Some of you older folks will remember it. It's not in any of our books anymore. I want to read you the chorus and then one of the verses. Is my name written there on the page, white and fair? In the book of thy kingdom is my name written there. Lord, my sins, they are many, like the sands of the sea. But thy blood, O my Savior, is sufficient for me. For thy promise is written in bright letters that glow. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them like snow. For your name to be written there, you must be washed clean in the blood of Jesus. There's not any adult person in this room without many sins that they've committed in their lives. If your name is written there, we've seen that you're going to be clothed in white garments, pure and white. That nothing that defiles, that is an abomination, or anything like that will be attached to you. And the only way that could possibly be is because you've been washed white in the blood of the Lamb. The lesson this morning, friends, is, is, not, is not a lesson just of symbolism. It's not a lesson where we're just sitting here wishfully and wistfully thinking about a pie in the sky by and by. That's not what I'm talking about. It's about the reality that the things that we do and don't do every day of our lives impact eternity. And the question that must be foremost in our mind as I live my life from day to day, am I living in such a way in relationship with my Heavenly Father that my name is written there. It's about the fact, the point of this lesson is about the fact that the life that you are living here will determine if your name is written there. So is it? I know one person who knows for sure. God does. But you need to know it for sure as well that your name is written 
there. And if it's not, there's no better time than right now to have your sins washed in the blood of the Lamb. If you're a Christian, you've got sin in your life, Jesus has promised to forgive that sin if you'll confess it and turn away from it and pray for forgiveness. If you're not a Christian, you've never been buried with water in baptism, you've never come in contact with the blood of Jesus that washes sin away, why not now? Please come while we sing and while we sing.